Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Impossible, Part 3, Incurable Diseases. Recorded Sunday, April 3rd, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. I have a question for you. What's harder? Is it harder being with God's people like in a setting like this? I mean, you walk in and you worship and there's some, hopefully you're encouraged. Hopefully you're, you know, the fellowship here is, is good. Is that easier or is it easier to be at home with the people there? Which is, which is normally easier? Now, if you were here last week, you might have heard that Jesus didn't come to calm your storm. That was the only reason he came. But Jesus came to take you with him even when your storms are raging. And what we talked about last week was how Jesus is in a boat with people and how he changed the atmosphere because he was there. And <clears throat> what, what we really realize is that we're in the boat with him. And he wants to take us somewhere. He's, he's going somewhere. He wants us to go with him. And in this case, he says, we're going to the other side. So let's read from Mark chapter 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea, they made it, to the country of the Gadaranese, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains." because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Oh, my. I mean, realize that about everything in this situation is unclean to a Jewish man. The other side was the Garanadines, that's Gentile land. The Decapolis is another term. And so there's a real us versus them thing happening here when Jesus takes these Jewish men to the other side. And doesn't it seem like there's always been us versus them? At least in my lifetime, I would have to say that. I mean, politically, culturally, ethnically. And they had a word for the other side. The the word is unclean. And the way they thought was things like this. Our people are sheep herders. They're they're pig growers. (laughs) We have one God. On the other side, they have a lot of gods. We have kosher food. They have pork. Their Herod is an appeaser to Rome, at least our Herod appeases to our religious leaders. On their side are wrong ideas about God, about politics, about religion, about morality. You see what I'm saying? You can probably think of someone in your life as well who, at one time or another at least, who you would say, when you talk about unclean, that's probably that person. I mean, there, if I think of someone who I would say as far away from God as they can get, I think of this person. 
maybe someone who seems almost unredeemable. It'd be impossible for God to get through to them. So here they are, they're, they're, they're in a Gentile country, and here's a Gentile. There apparently is a legion of demons living in this man. He's naked, he's cutting himself in the cemetery, which is a very unclean environment for a Jewish man. Now the good thing about this guy is he wasn't taking any sides. I mean, he wasn't on the Gentile side or the Jewish side. He was just some guy that was overwhelmed by life. So there's something dwelling in him that's not human, and we can't ignore that fact. His people have tried to control him. They've even tried chains to no avail. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped. He cried out in a loud voice, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torture me, torment me. Don't torment me. I think that's ironic. How much more tormented could this man be? I mean, he cuts himself, which you know is still a thing today. Somewhere inside this person, there's a wound so deep and the pain so deep that in order to feel anything, he had to cut himself to get a little more pain. Night and day, he carves on himself in a cemetery. No, no wonder people were afraid of him. He's under the control of demons. We've already established that. He had superhuman strength. By the way, on the border of the cemetery was a major trade route, up, butted up against the cemetery. So you, you know he was a problem for even the locals when it came to moving their goods back and forth. As far as we know, few if anyone referred to Jesus as the son of the most high God at this point. He's the one. Like his disciples were even asking, remember last week, who is this man? They weren't giving him a title like that at this point. Certainly the people who were coming to hear him, they were saying, oh, he's an amazing guy, but we don't. He gives him the title. He gives him the status. Don't torture me. Don't torment me, son of the most high God. The demons knew something that, that the big picture of Jesus others didn't know yet. And so they appealed to him at that level. And uh, they begged, don't, don't torture us, don't torment us, we beg you. Verse 8, for he said to them, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, even when I read that now, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I've got hair on my neck. I don't have much on the top, but i got some. But it's like a person, you know, a person from our home Bible study said last week, they said that, that they had learned this because they want to know more about it, that, um, that, a, that a, a legion in the Roman army, 6,000 soldiers plus. Now, I don't think there were, I mean, I don't know, there, there might have been. There might not have been, there might have been 6,000 demons in this guy. I don't know. But the point is, overwhelmed by evil. Overwhelmed. Verse 10, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large, by the way, that shows us that demons aren't like, you know, they can be anywhere, everywhere and all that like God is. 
They're just, they're very confined beings, even if they have some freedom that you and I don't experience when it comes to movement. He, so don't send us out. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, so there's more than one, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. At once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine, there were about 2,000 pigs, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and the country, and, and then they went out to see what had happened. And I mean, wouldn't you? Because here's crazy Salvus out there in the cemetery. I don't, he, they don't give us a name. I'm just going to give him a common Roman name, Salvus. And, and the folks haven't been to the cemetery to pay any respects because they're terrified to go to the place. And, and so here it is. It's, it's, by the way, it's by a herd of pigs. And so that's, a, you know, that's the kind of place that we find ourselves. And, and these pigs are, are, are thrust into the bay. This is the first Bay of Pigs experience. And there's a, I know, groaner, but, but it got your attention. And, and there's a lot of bacon in that thing, right? So, so huge income source disappears from this town. That's what I'm trying to show you in all the groaning. Verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed at his right and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Not grateful, not curious, not happy for Salvus and his family. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him and how he had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him, Jesus, to depart from their region. And then he got in the boat. He got into the boat. Now, in my mind, when I read this story, as I've read it a hundred times, but that came to me this week, the most terrifying moment in this whole story is this moment. It's when they sent Jesus away. That's me. I mean, is it scary that Jesus walks up onto this beach and, and the equivalent of Joker Dark Knight comes into him. That's scary. But that he would get into a boat and row away from people, that's to me more terrifying. To reject him, you must be crazy. You must be demon-possessed in your own way. People will stand in line for a God who will calm storms in their life but I didn't sign up for a Jesus who just wanted to ride out the storm with me, storm and all. I'm okay with a God who will transform a tormented neighbor. That's fine. But I didn't sign up for a God who's going to cost me something. That's what this means. Leave, please. Verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he who had the demon begged him that he might be with him. He wanted to go. However, Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you 
and how he has, compassion, has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, that's ten cities around the region, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, I know this is thousands of years ago. And, of course, not everything falls under the category of the demonic in the world. I know this. But if Jesus is, is Son of God Most High, and the Bible says that not only is that true, but also it's true that there's an anti-force, a, a demonic force, then we have to take that for granted. We can't take that for granted. We have to take that as truth. So let's just address the obvious as we look at this story and unfold this story. First of all, there is a devil, there is evil, in case you haven't noticed. There is a supernatural realm. There is an enemy who controls that realm, who is still affecting the course of the world. The enemy has a common name, and well, he has several names, but I'm just going to say the most common name is Satan. So the reason for his existence, believe it or not, is just to destroy the work of God. To, to obliterate in any way he can possibly the kingdom of God on earth. So all those Avengers movies, all those great literary, literary feats like the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and whatever else you can think of, they are just cheap knockoffs of the real epic story that's occurring in our world. And so there's this thing. There's love and there's unlove. Last week, we talked about a God who, who creates human beings with free will. And, and, and so, to have free will, there has to be a choice. There has to be an option. And the option is either you will love, you will do good, you will, you will serve God and His purposes, or the op option is, the other option is unlove, and, and you'll do wrong, and you'll sin. That's the word that the Bible uses most prominently since the very beginning, evil and hatred has tried to make us believe that a better choice from God's will is our own. And consequently, that we follow the vein of the Satan and what he has for us, evil. Well, what is Satan's vein? It's a vein that hates. He hates God. He hates God's kids. The enemy wants to destroy God's goodness and God's love, and to do it, he tries to do it by, by affecting God's children. Now, parents, help me on this one. If Satan really hates God, what is the best way to get at God? Through his kids. I mean, wouldn't that be true? As a parent... You, you know, as a parent, you, you, might, you might hate me, you might want to get at me, but I have a pretty high tolerance for what you do to me, but you come after my kids, game on, friend. You know what I mean? Satan wants to kill and destroy you because you are a child of God. Maybe you haven't lost the war with this Satan, but you're probably battling when the battle sometimes is a battle of denial because it probably means that you're not fighting if you're in denial about this whole thing. We are told to be aware of this. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter warns us, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion 
looking for someone to devour. And you'll do as good as anyone else. Resist him. Resist him. He's on the prowl. He's coming after you. If you don't believe that, you're in denial. Wake up. John 10.10 says, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief is Satan. And so it's a real thing, believe it or not. So here's another, let's just Let's just jump ahead a, bit, a little bit. There is a devil. There is evil. If you're in denial, he's winning. You know people. You may be one of these people whose life, whose marriage, whose family seems to be overwhelmed and quite desperate. Months ago, a guy told me, my life is shot to hell. And I didn't think of it at the time because I'm not this smart, but I did later. I wanted to say, if you're here today, I'll say it to you. Your life's not shot to hell. Your life's being shot by hell. Because he is a, he's a, he, he's a devouring lion. So be alert. He wants to steal your psyche. He wants to steal your marriage. He wants to steal your family. He wants to steal your soul. When we read a story like this, honestly, the entertainment, is, uh, center, uh, entertainment system in our, in our culture has numbed us to this stuff. Because you know this as well as I do. You've got a hundred movies on whatever, whatever service you use that show us these things like people who cut themselves, people who have no shame being naked before the world, people who are raging with anger and violence and cursing the name of God most high. So, so the enemy has brought into this, this, this cemetery into your life. Like you don't have to go to the cemetery, the dead places where you live in your devices, with your TVs, with your video games. The same enemy that wanted to kill Salvas' life and his relationships and his family and his marriage is still the same enemy. And if I dismiss this as, oh, well, I'm a pretty good person, and oh, well, I don't really do that all the time, just some of the time, and I just feed the need occasionally, guess what? You're getting beat. You're losing the battle. Mark Strauss writes this, there seems to be two types of Christians in the church. There are Christians who are practicing atheists who have absolutely no awareness of a supernatural struggle in the world and in their life, no understanding of the spirit of God's power in their life, nor are they aware of the spiritual battle in the world around them. They proclaim Christianity, but they act like atheists. Then there are Christians who see a demon behind every rock and situation, so the opposite. I can't find a parking place. Satan's attacking me. <laughs> What's the balance? What's the balance? Acknowledge the reality of spiritual warfare and the certainty of the outcome and claim the victory available through the blood of Jesus Christ. So there's a devil, and that's real, and don't be in denial. There's two sides, but it's not a fair fight. It really is, and I mean, the simple truth is that, that with mere words, Jesus commanded the demons, and they did whatever he said. So that shows us the power of God. Here's how Paul describes our spiritual transformation. This man had a transformation. Some of you know what I mean when I say you have too. Colossians 2.15. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. 
But God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. The way to defeat the devil is to take Jesus home with you. Let's see what happens here. The focus of this encounter is not evil, by the way. Some people would like to make it that. The focus of this encounter is the absolute power of Jesus Christ to obliterate the enemy that will take you to hell. So, I, I, I like this. You know, the guy, he wants, he's got one foot in the boat. I'm, I'm, I'm coming with you, Jesus. Jesus said, no, no, no. No, you can't be the 13th disciple. I don't want that. I want you to go home. I want you to take this home. This is the first time, by the way, that we saw Jesus do something for a person like this, heal them or expel demons, and not say, don't tell anyone or go tell the priests and no one else. I want you to go home. I want you to step out of this graveyard and go home. See, I will say this, I think the longer we're in Christianity, the, the more we want to cloister ourselves in his church and the less we want to be out there where people need him the most. In just a few minutes, you're going to hear Jared's story. It's an amazing story of transformation. And I think it's, I think it's emblematic of what God wants for us when we see what happens with Jared. But I wonder if some saw the journey into the Decapolis as a wasted trip. Like, so, remember all this, how this unfolded? They, they were on the other side. There were thousands of people there. He was teaching healing. It was a great experience. They got on the boat. They had the storm thing happen in between. But the disciples were probably thinking, oh, man, when we get over there, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be more crowds, more, you know, more amazing than that. Why would he leave? And they get there, and here comes this guy. And they're, they don't want to get out of the boat. I, I wonder if they thought this revival was going to break out, and it didn't. And people said, in essence, when Jesus offered himself to them, don't mess with our business. Get out of here. You've hurt our economy. And I wonder if on the way back, they're like, what a wasted opportunity. I mean, yeah, we got that one guy, and it's, he's better. For, uh, you know, all that we had to endure to get here for that one guy. And then he says, I want you, this guy, Salvus, I've named him, you go home. Tell them. Tell them about my compassion. So, three quick things about taking Jesus home with you. Hardest thing you'll ever do is take Jesus home with you. First of all, let's be real. Home is the hardest place. It's the hardest place. It's where you live, it's where you work, it's where you play, it's where you do life, and it's a hard place to have Jesus go with you because people know you from before and they know who you are, or at least were. And so a change, they're confused by it and you'll have a lot of answering to do. It's hard. Home is a place where I'm most real. And so if you are transformed by Christ, and that's happening with ever-increasing glory, the Scripture says. In other words, isn't it boom? It's like, it's like, yeah, a gradual thing. If that's happening, then, then the real you is sometimes hidden in that. I mean, because I, I, know, what, I know what you're going to do. You're going to go home and say, well, this is what I've learned. This is, 
This is who I am now. This is what I want to become. And they're like, yeah, sure. We've seen that before. We, we know the real you. And that's, and that's whatever they peg you to be. You know, in, in Celebrate Recovery, they deal with this quite a bit. It's like the person I want to be, the person that others think I am, and how I live in that with God empowering my life. It, it's, it's, part of, it's, one of, it's one of the great works of Celebrate Recovery to help people figure that out. And then home is the place where you will have the greatest impact. So on the surface, you think, well, I'm having an impact if I come to church and if I bring my family to church and if I go to a small group and I have a community there. And sure, that is, it gives, we go to serve somewhere. Certainly it does. But the greatest impact you'll have over the course of eternity, it won't be with the, you know, the fact that you're coming to church and sitting with someone next to you in church. It'll be with the person you're sitting next to in the car when you're driving down the street to come to church, your wife or your, or your husband or your children. Because things take root. I want, I want to finish this message out with something about the future with Salvus and this location but we're going to commune together, and I want to encourage you to think about this one thing, just this one thing. What kind of work is Jesus doing in your life? I mean, when you really do that evaluation that's so difficult sometimes, would you say that you're more, you know, you have, you know maybe you have more interest in the, the things of Satan or the things of God? Talk to him about it. Be honest because he's in the boat with you. Lord, as we commune today, expel and obliterate any kind of wickedness that can come between you and us so that we can see you clearly, we can worship you, we can thank you for the, you know, what you said and what you had Peter say where you transformed us through the cross. You nailed our sins to the cross. That's amazing but that cost you. We celebrate that you would pay that cost for your children and that I'm one of them. Thank you, Lord. Amen. My name is Jared English. You know, part of my story is that yeah, I'm a member of a 12-step program. And uh, in November, I was able to celebrate 12 years clean. Me and my wife went to uh, a weekend to remember. And, and it was at this event where um, Christ was really mentioned and it really sparked something in my soul and and luckily for us um, we went back home and a couple weeks later we were faced with the uh, the lockdown and uh, we spent a lot of time together me and my wife and and it was during that time where we really moved in our faith and when you're talking about a, a 14 day lockdown um, you know, I really struggled with that, and it, it really scared me to uh, to do all this and and to to face people, just be afraid of catching COVID or giving it to someone, and so I, I hit depression, and it was then where I decided that I needed to do something more, and it was at Celebrate Recovery where I'd talk about my problems and and uh, my life, and and during that time. One of the members asked me, so do you want to come to Christ? And it was in that moment where it hit me, like this is what my heart has been crying out for. And uh, that night I came to Christ. For me, it sounded like a great opportunity 
to, to learn more about Christ, um, to learn more about my faith and myself. And so uh, I joined the Rooted group. I met several other members of the church that were just like me. You know, it really helped me get in touch with Jesus and, and to learn about myself and my relationship. Or during the Rooted celebration, me and my wife, we, uh, we made the decision to get baptized. For me, it really hit home when I thought about it, like, like this is my soul, and uh, why would I take the risk? And it was through my baptism where I really dedicated my life. And, and I love how it talks about that in the Bible where, where we, we died to sin and were born anew. And, and I really feel like that's, that's what happened during my baptism. And my friend Jesse, I, I, I talked to him about it. And I was like, well, but maybe we could show up and, and see what happens. And, and he made the decision to get baptized. And then there was my friend Ali, where, uh, where we talked about it and, and about starting anew in our lives and uh, dedicating our lives to, to Christ. I always love that opportunity to look it in the face and say, fear doesn't control me anymore. And, and even though I was in doubt, uh, like, I, I feel complete. And I'm grateful that I, I faced that fear and I stepped forward and, and committed to it. Can't help but think of Jared's story and then show you how this one goes. One more thing about home. This is the first time that we know that Jesus stepped into Gentile ter territory. They just got a tiny glimpse of his power and he left. He goes back to the Jewish side, does a whole lot of stuff, spends probably about a year not, not back here, I mean in this place. And in the meantime, he just left this guy there. And a guy who identified Jesus as the most high God went home. So you turn over three pages in your Bible to Mark 7, 31. It says, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. This is going back. Only three chapters later, it's described in Mark. The last time he was there, they expelled him. They didn't want anything to do with him. Okay, what does he find when he gets there? Crowds. In verse 9 it says, 4,000 men and their families were there waiting for him. He returned, there were thousands of people there. Why? I mean, there's only, only one explanation. One man. A man whose life changed. I have this image rolling around in my head. What is Salvus is like there in the middle of the masses and you know he's got the scars on his arms and his wrists and his hands and his wherever else he cut himself. He's got ankle and wrist scars from the from the from the chains that he wore. He's dressed, he's got a big grin on his face and he's sitting there It's just my fantasy life, I guess. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I see you brought some friends with you. 
I don't know if there's any other explanation on how a community could kick Jesus out and then about a year later, thousands of them. Because he cared about one person. And that person cared about someone else. And someone else. And someone else. And they saw the man that was healed. And they thought, there's a story to be heard. And it reminds us that the gospel is supposed to go to people not like us. We got to go to the other side. How many people are roaming around in their graveyards with brokenness and baggage and they think, and some of you think this too, I know it's true, there's no hope for me. And Jesus shows us in this man's life, there's hope for anyone. Anyone. If we'll take him home with us. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.